Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday to you and yours. What do you think of my new threads? I got this new Adidas jacket uh, in the mail. I already got a spot on these white sleeves, but uh, I don't care. Uh, anyway, I, you know what the other thing I love about this new jacket? It's a double X and it's too big for me. And so I've already ordered a single X. I have more jackets on the way as I continue to uh, massage my appearance on here because I need to get some new suits and I still haven't done that. So in the interim, I'm gonna wear a lot of Adidas stuff. Even they're not a sponsor. I'm mad at them because of Kanye West. But anyway, tell me what you think of my new Adidas jacket. Uh, hit, my, uh, uh, hit me in the uh, comments. Fantastic show planned for you on this. We're going to start the week off right with a strong show. Steve Kim, uh, Jason Brown will be here to talk some sports with me. I'm going to get after it with Jason Brown. He's still trolling Chiefs fans, and I'm not happy about it. King Randall, you guys, I don't know if you follow him over social media, but he's a young kid, like 23, 24. He leads a boys' school in Georgia. He had an interesting tweet thread this weekend. We're going to bring him on uh, toward the end of the show to talk about that and his dissatisfaction with the movement. Uh, so fantastic show plan for you. We're going to start off, though, the other big addition to the Whitlock family uh, over the weekend. <laughs> you know what this is? This is my brand new iPhone 13, 13 or 14, I don't know. It's a, it's a new iPhone from Patriot Mobile. Sorry for the delay. I've been needing to get this new phone. It was, I was so excited when it showed up for me in the mail. Patriot Mobile has emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy, and they have big news. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. This means if you're with the big three and like the service but hate their values, you can access them with Patriot Mobile like your boy. They also offer a performance guarantee if you're not happy with your coverage. If you don't like it, you can switch between the three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. I'm 5G, by the way. Uh, so you get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. This new year, resolve to stop supporting companies that don't align with our, your values. Their 100% US-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Jason. That's what I did, patriotmobile.com slash Jason. Two or three days later, boom! My new iPhone from Patriot Mobile. I, I now have a Nashville cell number. I'm so excited. I've needed this for a long time. It's a good way to uh, distance myself from some of my old habits and people I don't need to hear from, <laughs> quite frankly. I still got my old phone number for now. It's gonna take me a couple of months to transition, but uh, I am now carrying my Patriot Mobile. What did I tell you guys about all of these guys we talk about on the show? I put my money where my mouth is. I put my money where my values are. This is just a small little thing you can do. We're all gonna have cell phones, unfortunately, but we're all gonna have them. 
Why not get one from a company that supports our values? It makes sense. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason or call 878-PATRIOT. Do it now. You get free activation with the offer code Jason. I used it. You can use it. You could be just like me. Hit me up in the emails, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. When you're bold enough, man enough, patriot enough to switch to Patriot Mobile, hit me with an email, let me know. I wanna hear about your experience. We can share notes. I've had this now, I think I got it Thursday or Friday. Awesome, beautiful. I have no problems, no drop calls, no nothing. It's awesome. All right, that's me talking about Patriot Mobile. Now, let me get down to doing my other job, which is starting fires for this show. Steve Kim's gonna help me fan these flames. Uh, let's get rolling. <clears throat> it is impossible to defend NBA legend Carl Malone's sordid personal life. At age 20, while a sophomore at Louisiana Tech University, Malone impregnated a 13-year-old girl in his hometown. And for the next 17 years, as he earned fame, fortune, and adulation as a professional athlete, he never took responsibility for the child he sired. He denied and or ignored his son, Demetrius Bell. It was a repeat of a familiar pattern for Malone. Three years earlier, at age 17, Malone fathered twins, Daryl and Cheryl Ford, with a 17-year-old classmate. He visited the twins in a hospital shortly after their birth and then disappeared from their lives until 1998. As it pertains to his personal life, pride, ignorance, and irresponsibility ruled the mailman, a nickname Malone earned for his on-court reliability. The deadbeat captures Malone's approach to fatherhood. Statutory rapist would be another description. This weekend, as the NBA celebrated its All-Star weekend in Utah, the league was forced to include the mailman in its annual midseason celebration. Malone judged the Saturday night dunk contest and sat courtside during Sunday's game. Social media spent the weekend ridiculing Malone and chastising the league for honoring Malone, the NBA's third all-time leading scorer. HBO's Bomani Jones led the outrage machine, roasting Malone as if the retired power forward was O.J. Simpson crashing the Goldman family reunion. Take a listen for yourself. Because I hated Carl Malone so much before I had a great reason. I only had good ones. <laughs> like, just being a dirty player, elbowing people all the time, you know, that sort of stuff. And then, you know, we find out the whole thing, if you don't know this, that when he was in college, Carl Malone had a baby with a 12-year-old. There's never been any sort of reckoning for Malone because Malone lays low. Like, he just out there in the country, driving his semi, doing whatever, whatever it is that Carl Malone does out there. But if you're doing something for Utah basketball, it's like Carl Malone. So we got Carl Malone and John Stockton. John Stockton is crazy conspiracy guy. And I'm just kind of like, I know a lot of people that think crazy things, as long as you don't say it on the microphone there, I guess, right? But Carl Malone, you're kind of supposed to leave him at home. Except if you're the league. I heard a lot of y'all when I told y'all those details that you'd never heard them before. Right? And so why is Carl Malone not there? Then you make this more story. 
And so I would imagine that there's a very cynical outlook on how to play it. So I never want to see Carl Malone ever, all time, any other point, but he's going to be there and it's going to be wild uncomfortable for a lot of people. And then tomorrow we're going to forget it ever happened. So that was Bomani Jones on his HBO show, trashing Carl Malone. Social media did it all weekend. My questions, what should the NBA have done? And would there be less heat on Malone if he were a lifelong Democrat party supporter and frequent guest on Epstein Island? Let me be clear, I do not want to play the what about game. Malone's actions were and are indefensible. But burying its head is the only option the NBA really had. The league is filled with sexually irresponsible young men. Drawing a sexual morality line in the sand with Malone would set a precedent that would jeopardize the reputations of a large number of current and past NBA players. Kobe Bryant is a deity. He bought his way out of sexual assault allegations. You think he's the only one? I don't. Professionalized sports, collegiate and above, no longer pretend to support a moral code. They support a political code. The political code is secular. The social media algorithms established in Silicon Valley determine our highly fungible morality. The same people ripping Malone for pedophilia defend child-friendly drag queen shows and men identifying as women entering girls' bathrooms. The culture affirms every immoral feeling and desire held by leftists. The twice convicted white pedophile Kyle Rittenhouse shot was a victim of white supremacy. Again, that sounds like whataboutism. It's a plea for consistent logic and morality. The NBA doesn't know how to deal with Karl Malone because the culture has turned its back on the truth spelled out in the Bible. Our standards are no longer based on truth, they're based on what serves political power. Malone is being vilified 40 years after his crimes because it serves the Democrat Party. Malone is a member of the National Rifle Association. He has supported Republican politicians. He's no more or less moral than your average courtside sitting gangster rapper or Epstein Island visiting politician. The hate directed at Malone seems disingenuous and poorly timed. But there is no statute of limitations on virtue signaling, especially when it comes to black men who defy liberal orthodoxy. Malone is getting off easy. The machine placed Bill Bill Cosby in prison for his decades-old crimes. I'm sure Cosby would have preferred being reviled over Twitter than being caged in Pennsylvania. Now, no one should feel sorry for Cosby or Malone, but we should desire a moral consistent standard on character assassination. We should want the people clamoring to make Malone persona non grata at basketball games to push for a similar exclusion of drag queens at libraries and schools. I can't think of anything more diabolical than an adult sexualizing a child. Who poses a bigger threat to children today, Carl Malone? or the second grade school teacher who wants to share his or her life, his or her sex life with students. The NBA is adhering to the cultural norms we established. America no longer cares about sexual immorality. 
We care about affirming feelings and desires, whether they be related to overeating, rejection of gender, or swiping left and right for sex. If Malone voted for the right political party, few people would care that he was once a minor attracted person. You get that minor attracted person? That's what leftists call pedophiles. See, Carl Malone is a pedophile, but if you're a Democrat, a leftist, you're a minor attracted person who Kyle Rittenhouse should never shoot in self-defense. That's my fire. I'm gonna drop this in Steve Kim's lap and ask Steve Kim, the Korean co-sell, uh, did the NBA make a mistake honoring Carl uh, Malone this weekend? Well, first of all, good Monday to you. And Jason, um, I think that clip of Romani Jones, his audience members, some of them had masks on. Yeah, that's exactly his audience. That made all the sense in the world. Now to your question, um, I answer that with a question. What's the statute of limitations on all this? And I think your premise is absolutely correct, that if Carl Malone was one of those hashtagging and wearing T-shirts that said BLM, uh, claiming and stating white supremacy at the top of his lungs and talking about the oppression of America, and let's face it, not really like a redneck with his lifestyle, the cowboy boots and driving a pickup truck, he would be given a pass. It'd be all swept under the rug. It's really interesting. There comes a time that, yes, when an athlete has an indiscretion, legal or otherwise, it's to be talked about. It's relevant at that point. But I, I just find it interesting how certain people get a pass, and other times when you bring it up, it's like, no, no, just concentrate on the game. What's that have to do with the game? Well, as far as I'm concerned, this man is a legend. Him and John Stockton will always be, in my view, the identity of that franchise. To not include him would have been a huge void. And in fact, that would have brought about more questions than that were raised this weekend. But I go back to a couple of things like with Ray Lewis. I think we're very biased about him for various reasons. I'm just a fan. You're actually a friend and colleague. He did what he did in Buckhead in uh, the Super Bowl in 2000. For a period of time... That should be talked about. It's a part of his legacy. It's going to be in his Wikipedia. But years later down the line, let's say a decade later, every time he'd make a tackle during the end of his career, do we bring up, oh, great play by Ray Lewis, really shot the gap. But you know, in Buckhead, Atlanta in 2000, he was convicted or accused of, I mean, how many times do we bring that back? Or when you bring on Ray Lewis to a show, do we say, no, Ray, also, you had a great career, but there was also Buckhead. I mean, but it's, it's amazing, like with Floyd Mayweather, I always thought it was a little bit unfair. And this happened during his fight with Manny Pacquiao that there were several journalists, I think Rachel Nichols was one of them, who kept bringing up his domestic violence. And look, we know what happened. And, it, and look, I'm not a Mayweather fan, but there was a part of me saying, yeah, you did it. But what does that have to do with the fight right now? It kind of seemed like very selective outrage because it's interesting, it's like we would only care about the fly-in login list, certain people, of the Epstein login for flying into wherever he was doing his stuff if those people were connected to a different political party. We have to be honest about this. And to me, Carl Malone did what he did. It is not to be excused. 
But people like Bomani Jones, um, I think, again, selective outrage. I hadn't even thought about Ray Lewis, but it's a great example. Because, and, and look, Ray Lewis is one of my favorite athletes of all time, just watching him as a player and then getting to know Ray and getting to know uh, what, what Ray is really about. And no, in no way do I claim Ray Lewis is, perf- is perfect because he's just not. Neither am I, neither is anybody that I've met. But, but what Ray's heart is about is about helping people raise a good person. And, and the issue of what happened in Atlanta is more complicated than, you know, Ray, cover, Ray participated in a murder and covered it up. It, it's far, the truth is far more complicated. It, in this current environment we have, you can't even unpack the truth. And, and I don't want to, I've, I'm on record, go check what I just said, what Carl Malone did, indefensible, indefensible. But the truth of what happened and the truth of what was going on in Carl Malone's mindset given his upbringing. And again, no one's told me anything. I don't know. But I can only imagine in the 1980s in a rural part of Louisiana, it's just not mentally where Carl, and then being this athlete, and that's why, again, the, the the NBA doesn't want to open up this Pandora's box because you just never know where it's going to lead. Athletes operate, great athletes that, that have the kind of talent Carl Malone was blessed with at an early age, they operate in a totally different sexual universe than the rest of America. And that's why the NBA can't single out Carl Malone and push him to the side because there's 10 other all-time greats yeah. that have something nearly as shady, just as shady, just mm-hmm. as potentially criminal as Carl Malone. And, and it, it's like the overall theme of this show where, where I keep saying, if, if, you have, if you come from a community where families have been decimated and destroyed, there are no parents or there are not two parent environments, the sexual malfeasance going on in those communities is rampant. Unsupervised young people, not just kids, and again, what Carl Malone did certainly qualifies as pedophilia, and I get it. But it is, I hate to say it, but having spent some time in the ghetto, the sexual immorality in unparented communities is just pervasive and rampant and widespread. That's why, I'm, again, I'm repeating myself, but why the NBA doesn't want to touch this, the NFL doesn't want to touch it. There's a lot of, I sit here and, you know, this is one of the times where I say, I wish Uncle Jimmy were actually here because he could talk about his own upbringing and the sexual impropriety and malfeasance he experienced as a child growing up in in one of these environments. He's around the same age as Carl Malone, not making excuses for Carl Malone, but but the selective outrage towards Malone does bother me. It's just unfair. Jason, if you watched the Bullies of Baltimore a couple of weeks ago, the 30 for 30 on the 2000 Ravens, it 
really brought back some really um, vivid memories of when Brian Billick got up at the pre-Super Bowl press conference as they landed in Tampa. And he basically told the media, look, what happened to Ray, we addressed it months ago. We are not going to relitigate this. This is about football. And the media was very upset. I use that word relitigate is because are we only relitigating this? We as in certain members of the media who don't like the political or social stances of Carl Malone because he was honored in the city in which he performed for years. Like where was the outrage in 2005, 2010, 2015, 2020? Why? Why now? Is it just because it's exploitative? And by the way, uh, I don't agree with Bomani Jones on a lot of things. As a Laker fan whose heart was broken in the late 90s by the J- I hated Carl Malone, too. I, I just hated him as a player. But my stance has softened on him in a sense that this guy's one of the greatest players of all time. None of us are perfect. We all have skeletons in our closet. But again, if it wasn't a big deal then, because we've known about this for a while, why is it a big deal all of a sudden in 2023? And are you going to hold guys to the same standard? So in subsequent years and other sporting events, as athletes are now honored, are we going to open up that closet and just dig through and just with the fine comb, toe, uh, fine, uh, comb tooth and look for every indiscretion and then ask, well, this is his rap sheet. Why are we honoring him? Or is it just Carl Malone? It's just, it's either heterosexual white guys who get their social media history evaluated and, and relitigated. Oh my God, he did this rap song. Or it's black men with pronounced conservative values or Republican yeah. values or whatever. Anything they did or said can and will be used against them in the court of public opinion. This just, social media is definitely a net negative. I don't know, I don't know if there's any redeeming value to social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of it. I'm not, I'm not sure other than, you know, feeding our, our sexual lust and, and I don't think that's a good thing. And so I, I can't, life was better and more fair before social media. Hmm. Here's the thing. But given the nature of what we do, Jason, and how we exploit, and that is the word, exploit and use and utilize it, there are some benefits. We have to be honest about it. You say, again, I it's was, not a black I had a great career before social media. I, I had no complaints. No, you know, yeah, that's true. But you were making a lot more money than I was, so I, I kind of like... I, <laughs> look, I, I understand what social media is. <laughs> like, the way you and Jason Brown were arguing this weekend, I don't do that anymore. I just mute people and retweet the people that agree with me to piss off those who disagree with me. You see, you guys, I got to give you some game here, guys. You're wasting all your time with this, what I call mental <laughs> masturbation. You may be right. Hey, let's move. Here's something positive about social media. So I'll contradict myself. The DK Metcalf video before yeah. social media. I'm not sure. Maybe we, maybe we would see it on ESPN Sports Center top ten. But now it's all over social media. Let's play the clip 
of this catch from DK Metcalf, and 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 the NFL has is now asking to drug test DK Metcalf. Let let's let's play the video. That is amazing. Do you blame the NFL for uh, drug testing him, and do you think that that video is real? Couple of thoughts here. Number one, was he practicing as if Russell Wilson was still his quarterback? I mean, he's okay anyway. Um, <laughs> if there was ever a vertical leap that was the Barry Bonds 2001 that made everyone very suspicious, maybe even before that, maybe that's it, but... That looked a little bit doctored. There, there's some there's some questions as to the authenticity of that video. You know what that reminded me of, though? Harking back to our childhood. Remember that show called In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy? Remember? In Search Of. No. Bigfoot. No, you don't remember that show? So they would talk about Yeti, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Howard the Pier, and Leonard Nimoy was creepy. I mean, just him talking would scare the hell out of me. And I'm watching this show in the afternoon, but they always talk about urban legends and they have like grainy footage. And some of it was doctored. A lot of it was not true. It was a TV show. That's what it kind of reminded me of. I don't, that guy looked like David Thompson um, on steroids. I don't think nobody has that type of vertical. That, that, that is not just dunking the basketball. That's actually putting a quarter on top of the backboard. Something I don't. I'm, I'm not buying this. I'm not. I, I don't know what to think of it. I, I enjoy watching it, and and wondering like, did they put something in his shoes? Does he does he have trampoline shoes? And can uh, I get some? Shoes. And will they watch the my big butt? It ain't the, the shoes. No, they never dropped the shoes. No, <laughs> 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 They've never drug tested shoes. <laughs> Let me just put it to you that way. <laughs> we are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen. All right. Uh, I want to move on to uh, Eric Bieniemy. Mm, mm, mm. I I have started this new theory on Eric Bieniemy. He's he's now the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator. There are people that are predicting doom and gloom and questioning why he would even take the job. Friend of mine, someone I respect, uh, Booger McFarland from ESPN tweeted out from Mahomes to Sam Howell, no thanks. Hope it works out for Eric Bieniemy, but no way in hell I'd leave KC except to become a head coach. This move may mean something to some, but I just don't think regardless of the level of success, it will change owners' minds. Hmm. My new theory is 
that the people demanding that he not take this job are the people that don't believe Eric Bannum is any good. Because if Eric Bannum is the guru that everyone says he is, everyone should be applauding his chance to go out and prove that he's the real deal as an offensive coordinator. And I pointed out over social media this weekend, I was like, well, hold on. Ben Johnson, the, the uh, offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, yes. this guy goes from, uh, he was, I think, passing game coordinator. He replaced Anthony Lynn as offensive coordinator in Detroit this year. The Detroit Lions scored the second most points in franchise history this year, one year in. You can't tell me that the, the personnel that they had in Detroit, Jared Goff is the quarterback. You can't tell me that their personnel is 10 times better than, than what Eric Bieniemy is getting in Washington. And so I, I just, if Eric Bieniemy is who everyone says he is, they shouldn't have any fear about him taking his commander's job and he should make an immediate impact in a year or two, if he's who they say he is. You know, I actually agree, though, with Booker, because he's echoing what I've said. Most coaches or coordinators, they're as smart and good as their quarterback. There's this symbiotic relationship. And again, if you have an elite guy like Patrick Mahomes, who may be the most valuable player in football every year, and a future Hall of Famer, and looks destined to be on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks, of course you're going to look smarter. But I, I, I do think you're right. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, he deserves a shot. He deserves a shot. Uh, well, not that shot. Not, not, not that one. And, and I found it interesting when you were battling a lot of the fans, uh, when you're battling the B-enemy hive. I thought that was fascinating. I really did. Because, Jason, this weekend I saw four great fights. Uh, it was um, Mauricio Lara knocking out Lee Wood in England. Then I was there for Azad Hobanessian's war against Louis Neri. Two great fights. But then it was Jason Brown against all of Kansas City and Missouri and you against the Enemy Hive. And I found it interesting because I'm, I'm watching this and I'm retweeting a lot of your stuff just to, like, get people angry and triggered, right? And it's really interesting. It's the white fans that are really uh, – actually, I don't know if it's Andy Reid or Enemy. I think it's 50-50. And I'm thinking, you really think it's – like, like, that is like the online Twitter football version of, of the white guy putting up the BLM sign on their front lawn during civil unrest. Like, hey, guys, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> Got the BLM. You know what? Give me a rainbow flag. Put, putting the rainbow flag right there. Cause it's really – because I was, like, charting, like, who is the one – who are the ones who are most vociferous in their – um, defense of the enemy, and it was all the white guys. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, you're really pushing hard. I get it. The enemy's life matters. I get it. And good luck to him. And a couple people have pointed out, they said, Steve, you're right about McLaren, but they do have some other weapons, like Jahan Dotson, speedy receiver. He can play. Logan Thomas earned a lot of money as a converted quarterback, productive tight end. So it's not like the cup cupboard is bare, the question is, Sam Howell, I just remember him. He was a Miami killer, right, at UNC. He, his game actually regressed, and there's a reason why he's a fifth-round quarterback. So, I look, I get it. I, I'm, not, I'm not completely down on the enemy here, but I do have my doubts about how much he actually really structured and ran that Kansas City juggernaut. 
I, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to end up on cold takes or to, to live. I, I got to be careful. But, but I'm just saying it's because of all the people saying he shouldn't take the job that makes me think, oh, he's not remotely qualified for mm. this job. Mm. I don't have inside information. I, I just know that they're making way too much of what he did in Kansas City, working under Andy Reid, and all the what about, what about Matt Nagy, what about Doug Peterson, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I, I get it, but it, this guy's a former running back. There's all kinds of proof that former running backs do not fit the profile of a head coach. Former running backs don't fit the profile of an offensive coordinator. Running back is an, ex, is an extinct, uh, instinctive position. It, it, it's like you want someone who can manipulate offenses. It's usually either a quarterback or a former wide receiver, sometimes an offensive lineman. But running back is last on the totem pole for a guy that's going to be a coaching guru. That's one. I yeah. think, and you know, this will be hung over my head. I, I, I think they're going to struggle to get plays in on time. I really do. That's going to be the early tale in Washington is calling plays every 35, 40 seconds is the hard, one of the hardest things to do in sports. I'll be very interested if Eric Bieniemy can do it. I'll be watching the delay of game penalties in, in Washington. Jason, it's one thing to say, boy, I don't know if his offense is going to be effective. It can be a play. You don't even think they get the plays in. Okay. You know, but let, let's go back here. We have seen in recent years, uh, like Hackett, uh, the guy Philman, who were really exposed without great quarterbacks, where they could not take them with them, right? It um, kind of reminded me of when Luke Walton went to the Lakers as a head coach about, what, eight, nine years ago. And all my friends were excited because Luke was a former player, won titles, he was a fan favorite. And they said, oh, he's coming from the Golden State Warriors and that system and that style. And I said, great. Here's one problem. Are we bringing Steph Curry and Clay? <laughs> and it didn't, <laughs> didn't look the same without two, those two guys with the Lakers, okay? And, and it was not Luke's fault. Did not have the material. But I also go to other guys that you say are offensive savants who can build something. The name that comes to mind right now as I'm talking to you is Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren in the 80s, was a highly regarded, I think, quarterback coach and coordinator for the Niners under Bill Walsh, the father of the West Coast offense. So, obviously, you're going to look good with either Joe Montana or Steve Young and Bill Walsh's offense. But Mike Holmgren, in the early 90s, I think it was 91 or 92, decided, you know what, I'm going to take the Green Bay job. Now, you have to remember, for people that are younger than us, Green Bay at that point, pre-Reggie White, and post-Lombardi, they thought that was a graveyard. It was such a bad job. It was an open secret. Black players did not want to go there. I, I've, I've heard quotes. I've actually talked to them. They're like, that was Siberia. But you said, you know what? I'm going to take the remnants of Don Mikowski, and we got this raw kid from Southern Miss that got traded after one year, Brett Favre. I'm going to develop something here. And the work that Holmgren did in disciplining Brett Favre, who's like this wild colt, and turning him into a three-time MVP, and everywhere he's gone, Holmgren knows how to run and produce an offense. Again, so we're going to see, is it going to be Mike Holmgren, or is it going to be Nathaniel Hackett? 
I, I, look, I saw Dick Vermeil and his coaching staff. Yep, Al Saunders. Take, well, well but, but go to St. Louis. I'm just, Mike Trent Hart. Green, I covered his career at Indiana University. Trent Green was nothing special at yeah. Indiana. He's probably like a fourth, fifth round draft pick yep. coming into the NFL. He was going to be the guy in St. Louis. Then when he got hurt, they took a guy that was bagging groceries, Kurt Warner, and created, <laughs> now look, they had Marshall Falk and other pieces, but they greatest show on turf with those two quarterbacks. Then I saw Dick Vermeil get pissed off because uh, Mike Martz got all the credit. He came to Kansas yep. City and brought Trent Green with him, who's coming off a knee injury, who to me was never that guy. Turned Trent Green into a pro bowler and a great offense. They put together, they, get, they acquire Willie Rofe. And, and, and I've seen coaching make an instant impact on a team's offense. It can happen. I, I hear the people that say it can't, or, or as it relates to Eric Bieniemy, it's a vote of no confidence. Let's stay in Kansas City. The other debate that was is going on in Kansas City is who deserves the credit, the most credit, for Kansas City's two Super Bowls in four seasons, Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes. I think this is a fair debate and discussion, but and, and I, I don't mean this with any disrespect to Patrick Mahomes. None, because I'm about to clown suit Jason Brown here in a second. No disrespect to uh, Patrick Mahomes, but Andy Reid, man, come on. And, and I was a critic of Andy Reid when he was in Philadelphia because I was such a Donovan McNabb homer. But the, the guy had Donovan McNabb headed to the, pro, uh, to the Hall of Fame at one point, headed to, he's not going now. Michael Vick gets a second contract, $100 million, coming out of prison, had him looking like a Pro Bowl quarterback. Alex Smith, three out of five years in Kansas City, he's a Pro Bowl quarterback. And now Patrick Mahomes, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion. Andy Reid at this point has to be given the most, if 51-49 split, whatever, however you want to split it, it's got to go to Andy Reid at this point. Maybe over the next few years, it'll go 51-49 the other way for Patrick Mahomes. But, but right now, I give Reid the most credit for Kansas ah. City's success. Oh, can't they just be like Hall and Oates or Simon and Garfunkel? But of course, they broke up, so maybe that's an analogy. That's a tough one because Mahomes can do things. Look, you could say that McNabb had more athleticism and as much escapability in the, and the ability to extend plays. Did not have the overall arm talent of a Patrick Mahomes. Look, coaching matters. Systems matter. Play calling matters. But Mahomes' ability to do magical special things. Look, Andy Reid went to a lot of championship games with McNabb in one Super Bowl, right? A lot of other quarterbacks have been successful. Alex Smith, they won double-digit games consistently. But with that guy, they're wearing big rings and having parades. I think it's fair to say that Mahomes makes Andy Reid even better, that he makes a genius even a little bit smarter. I got to go with the player here. I think he's special. There's no disagreement about the specialness of Patrick Mahomes. And, and none whatsoever uh, about the specialness of Patrick Mahomes. But, but Steve, do you think 
if if uh, na- na- let's name a good coach. Sean McDermott was Patrick Mahomes' coach. The, he, Patrick Mahomes might look Great like point. Josh Allen, a yeah, really good quarterback. Yeah, but not what Andy Reid has made him. But you know, we, if you look at the history of the NFL, coaches that have won multiple titles for the most part, have had that one great defining quarterback. Chuck Knoll had Bradshaw. Bill Walsh had Montana. Um, Tom Brady with Belichick. The anomaly, and this is where I think he does not get enough credit, is Joe Gibbs. For Joe Gibbs to win three Super Bowls within a decade with three separate quarterbacks, none of which will be in the Hall of Fame, although they were solid, from Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, to Mark Rippon, that might be the greatest coaching job ever in a decade stretch, right? But most quarterbacks, going all the way, Otto Graham with Paul Brown, um, Johnny Unitas with Weeb Eubank. I'm just telling you, it's not it, – we, we, we try to say who gets more credit. Maybe they both have to fit together and work together. So I, that's a tough one, though. But you do make a, count, a, a compelling case that Andy Reid has that unique ability to elevate any quarterback he comes into contact with. It's special what he does. Dick Vermeil went to the Super Bowl with Ron Jaworski, yes. Kurt Warner, yes. and turned out some really good team, offensive teams in Kansas City with Trent yeah. Green. That, yeah, that, that's another one. That he, look, Dick Vermeil is one of my favorite coaches. I, I think he's an unbelievable motivator. But, hmm. I don't know. I'm going to think of it. Then you have me Coaching Matt, look, look, you can't be – there's no wrong side to this argument. Yeah. I'll just say that. There's no wrong side to this argument. You can go either direction. Uh, I, I was late on the Andy Reid bandwagon. I was a critic of his when he was in Philadelphia. His clock management and all that drove me crazy. You know, and, and now watching him work in Kansas City and getting a more up-close view, the Chiefs being my favorite team, I, I'm just slightly – now, it could no. – Chiefs get another Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes gets another MVP. I'll probably go 51-49 the other direction. Let me uh, – I'm sorry, go what ahead. That, you know what swung me, though? Now that I think – those two touchdowns that the Chiefs scored in the red zone where guys were wide open into the flat and they used that motion, uh, that has me think – you know, that's Reed. That's a play design. What did Mahomes have to do? Just flipped it into the flat. Now, now, you know what? Now I'm thinking Reed. Now I'm thinking Reed. For now. I can change my mind by tomorrow. So ask me again tomorrow or later this week. Can't go wrong either direction. Uh, finally, NBA All-Star Weekend was highlighted by, uh, what's his name? Mac? Is it Matt or Mac McClung? Well, oh, you we got it. I thought it was McClung. Matt. No, it's, it's Eight Ball Is it- or Eight Mile. Eight Mile McClung. Is that right? Mac McClung won the again. I'm I'm disrespecting the hell out of this kid. Uh, he won the dunk contest. Uh, they're going to be a new movie. White men can dunk or white men can't dunk. I can't remember that. There's going to be anyway. We're going to do an approval rating on uh, Mac McClung. Let's get to it. All right, we'll first start off talking uh, job performance here, and we'll start with this question as you unpack your job performance. Did he save the dunk contest? No, because they're never going to get rid of it. I mean, look, the, the dunk contest has had issues before. Remember when they did the Wheel of Fortune thing, and I'm like, what in the hell was that? 
The look, they'll never get rid of it because it is still the biggest, most exciting event. But there there was a time, Jason, when me and you really cared about the NBA in the mid to late 80s, where guys like Jordan, Drexler, um, Dominique Wilkins, the the truly transcendent iconic players would participate in the dunk contest. That hasn't happened in a very long time, and that's the issue, and it got very stale. But I don't think they're going to get rid of it because it's still the most exciting thing. I mean, Mac McClung did some dunks. I was like, wow. I mean, honestly, I give him a lot of credit. That that Those dunks that he did could compete in any year, even Vince Carter's 2000 performance, which was incredible. There was uh, – and, and by the – there was a – do we have the tweet from uh, Jesse Washington, the undefeated? I don't know if you yeah, – uh, Anscape. Yeah. <laughs> your guy. Yeah. Did you he, – he tweeted out that the only reason why Mac McClung was invited was because he was white, played the race card on Mac. This is two days before the dunk contest. Then the guy puts on that show. I'm only going to give him a 10 in job performance, and that's a perfect 10 – for the dunk contest, but his job as an NBA player, he's in the G League. He he's you know they he got what he got signed on Tuesday and wins the dunk contest on Saturday or whatever. I'll give him a perfect ten for the dunk contest, but he hadn't proven anything else in, in terms of his job. So I gave him a ten in job performance. Okay, first of all, hey Jesse, this is what you're worried about in terms of like racism is a dunk contest. Never mind. One of the reasons why this white guy was invited is because none of the really elite black players are doing it. Have you thought about that, Jesse? These people are not serious. That's why you don't take them seriously. They're unserious people. But he was brought in to do a job. He created a buzz. I don't know what else happened throughout that weekend that looked completely overproduced. I'm giving 8 Mile McClung a 25. Mm. All right. Uh, character. I can't knock his character. They haven't been able to dig up any bad old tweets so far. Yeah. And I'm sure they spent all of Saturday night hunting. White guy wins the dunk contest. How can we discredit him? Uh, it looks uh, from the high school highlights I saw, it looked like he went to a predominantly white high school. So I'm a little shocked they haven't been able to find something to hang around this kid's neck. But uh, so I give him a 20 in character. They haven't found anything yet. And by the way, he's not the first guy to land on the moon here. There's a guy by the name of Brent Berry. White guys have won the dunk contest, and as my good friend Dave Smith, the sports god, shout out to him, he watches us a lot. He actually said one of the funniest quotes from Charles Barkley was in that year, after Barry wins it, he basically said, man, we need another million man march. But anyway, uh, I don't know much about Matt McClung, but he seems like a nice young man. So I'm I'm going to like plead my ignorance here. So I'm going to be safe. I'm going to give him a 15. Mm. Uh, That's kind of how I am on authenticity. Yeah. I, I, I haven't got a read yet on, you know, how hip hop he tries to be. Is he just the suburban kid or has he, you know, I don't think he's not all tatted up or anything, you know, right. like he hasn't really gone the eight mile. You keep calling him eight mile, but I don't see him yeah, out know. there. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm down the middle on authenticity. So I went 14. Yeah, I, I went a 15 and the last white American basketball player that didn't make the NBA that had this much buzz, by the way, is the professor. Grayson Boucher, I think was his name from And One. I don't know if you ever watched And One. I love And One. And that white guy had handles. I mean, he would sit guys on their butt with this crossover. And I love his YouTube channel. 
Uh, Professor, you're doing a great job. Love the way you've developed as a personality. Grayson Boucher. <laughs> I forgot all about the professor yeah, from A yeah, and One. Nice. That's a he great. Nice. I like. That's a great <laughs> Grayson <laughs> Grayson Boucher or Boucher or whatever. Boucher. Yeah. He's even got a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I remember. He's good. <laughs> the, yeah, the professor. Yeah, that's a good. That's a great a good I thought you were going to say Woody Harrelson, yeah. from, but I already stole the oh, white the man way, can't we're jump. So. That movie. The, the thumbs down to that. The, that remake. Anyway, let's keep going. Jeez. Piss me. Uh, and then It Factor, you know, you can only have so much It Factor. He's got a lot for 48 hours. We'll see if he can parlay this into some shoe deals and commercials. Uh, I give him a 21 in It Factor. Look, he's the only thing that I remember about this All-Star weekend, which I'm going to forget about by the end of this segment. So uh, in, in terms of the Andy Warhol 15 minutes, he's making the most out of it. I give him a 20. Five. So you you weren't thrilled with uh, Jason Tatum's uh, fifty-five point performance, one of the most incredible. I mean that thing's turned into a no, layup contest. And honestly, yes, I remember where the games were really serious. I still remember Rolando Blackman Blackman having to hit late free throws in Seattle to send the game into overtime. It was unbelievable. It used to be a real game, and now I remember Michael Jordan winning the MVP in Chicago. Him and Isaiah were actually great teammates for about 20 minutes that game. It used to mean something. By the way, Jason, one last NBA note. It bugged me the whole week because I made a faux pas uh, on Friday's show. It happens once every five months. I meant you brought up Lester Earl. I got him confused with Ronnie Lester. He's the guy that went to Iowa. He was actually an All-American player, yes. and the reason why I remember him he was like the 12th man on the 85 Lakers World Championship. So uh, shout out to Ronnie Lester. Go Hawkeyes. My apologies. Apology accepted. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Steve's got him at a smoke show. I've got Mac McClung at a grease fire. Uh, that'll be that. Let's move on to uh, Coach Jason Brown. Thank you, Steve. And let's move on to make sure you're getting your roll call tickets. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. The roll call Saturday, April 15, 2023, right here in Nashville. Please come join us. I'm getting a lot of questions over email about how to get uh, VIP tickets for the Friday uh, cookout and the Saturday morning breakfast. That information, I think, is all on our website, fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Need to see you here in Nashville with us. And just we're about six, eight weeks away from that. So anyway, uh, Coach JB. I Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take shut up. You you're you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection. It eliminated us from standing on truth. This would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? 
So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples. He tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, He's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone. Be confident in your positions and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. I should be wearing uh, some Chiefs paraphernalia for what I'm about to do to Jason Brown. Uh, it's Monday. We love having Jason Brown on Mondays, but if he keeps trolling my Kansas City Chiefs, I don't know about JB's future. Uh, JB, why do you continue to troll the Kansas City Chiefs? What, what, seriously, we keep having this discussion every week. I saw you over social media beefing with Chiefs fans. JB, you're starting to, you know, I almost called you. I almost had him put a headline on this. Coach Jason Bayless, the real JB is the new Skip Bayless. Quit trolling the Kansas City Chiefs. First of all, I don't even know what trolling means. Um, so, you know, that's not what I do. Let me explain it to you. It's what you've been doing. You keep criticizing the Chiefs. They got two Super Bowls in four years. Patrick Mahomes got two MVPs and two Super Bowls, and you keep acting like he's done and proved nothing. All right, time out. Are we talking Chiefs fan base? Or are we talking Patrick Mahomes? I'm, I want to be clear here before I get going, because you call me Skip Bayless and all this other stuff. I want to be clear. Are we talking about the fan base? Or Patrick Mahomes. Let's let's pick a lane. What's the here. matter with the fan base? What's All the right, matter with the fan base? You say I'm trolling. So let me clarify. Trolling sounds like it's something that is a falsehood or a lie or non-truth, 
and it's making up things to get clickbait. That's not me. You know me better than that. Anyone you know knows that I don't put out crap just to get clicks. I don't really care. So what I say is the truth. And y'all Kansas City fan base can't handle it. So you call me trolls. And that is the true difference. Let me ask you something. I'm confused as to where this so-called great chief fan base was the last two years or the last 15 years. Where were they when Mahomes played at Texas Tech? Because I used to tweet the same thing last year, Jason. I didn't hear nothing out of you. It was crickets. I, I tweeted the exact same crap I'm tweeting now. And now all of a sudden, I am the antichrist to the Kansas City Chiefs fan base. Let me clarify what I am. I'm a truth teller. And the true Chiefs fan base actually agrees with me because they came on my show. I talked to 50 good friends that live in KC, Independence, Missouri, those areas, Raytown, cats that I've recruited in the area. I had Kansas City Chiefs fans pop up. Let me clarify. You guys have a great fan base, loyal to a T. A million people showed up to the parade. I talked about it on my show last week. People don't listen to what I say. They want to talk before they hear me. So what happened is you have a fan boy base that I specifically went after. And the fan boy base sent me 1,700 DMs with life-threatening DMs, with my daughter's pictures, with all kind of stuff. And they have zero followers, Jason. You guys are creating fanboys. Show me the real fans of Kansas City. The guys that know Lynn Dawson. The guys that go back and can tell me the last time you had a 14-game season. Nobody can. They're all fanboys looking for clout and retweets. The fanboys who DM me threatening messages and all this old crap, nobody showed up today, Jason. Why? Why nobody could show up? I gave an open invite. Come on my show. Nobody showed up. Nobody. Clarify. Clarify. What are your alleged problems with the fanboys, what are you saying exactly? Because I hear what I hear you saying is that like Pat Mahomes is some kind of gimmick. He's not really an, an all-time great quarterback. And that is going to piss off Kansas City Chiefs fans when the guy's coming off the MVP. What more can you do than be MVP of this regular season and MVP of the Super Bowl? What more does he have to do? Jason. You piss off people every day. What do you mean? Wait, so now I can't make an opinion? So I have to take personal threats because I made an opinion? I know you do too, I'm sure. But let me be clear here. I can't make an opinion on this guy being overrated? Like, where did this start? When have I ever attacked Patrick Mahomes personally, character-wise, or any fan in Kansas City? Show me the tweet. Never. You've never heard it out of my mouth. You've never heard it on a tweet. I don't go after nobody personally. I don't care. This is an opinion-based profession that everybody lives. Jason, you take scientific data, you take analytics, and you put them with your opinion on your show every day. The same with I do. Let me be clear, though. This is how is the man overrated, JB? How, how, how is he's the best quarterback in football right now, and he's the defending Super Bowl champion and MVP? That puts him at number one. You can't be higher than number one. How is he overrated? Because, man, we're talking about a guy who's played four seasons, and you're putting him at number two already on the all-time list. Like, miss me with this bullcrap, man. 
He ain't that good yet. Like, let's watch him in five years. Just so we're clear, real quick. Alex Smith under Andy Reid, all right? Had nowhere near this roster. By the way, Alex Smith, okay, just so we're clear, went Alex Smith went 50 and 26 as a starter. All right. Let's not act like Patrick Mahomes just reinvented the wheel here. Alex Smith had three seasons in a row with over 66% completion percentage, over a 95 rating. Patrick Mahomes has been under 65% twice. He's had a 65, 66, 66, 67 this year. The same as Alex Smith. And guess what? Patrick Mahomes' rating is 10 points higher than Alex Smith. You know why? Because Andy Reid has to create an offense that is conducive for Pat Mahomes to have success in. He don't have the roster. Andy Reid has the greatest roster he's had in his coaching career the last four years, arguably. And he has what? He's lost the Super Bowl. He's gotten beat by Brady twice. And we're, we're sitting here condoning Mahomes as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Let's pump our brakes. That's the only thing I say, Jason. I never came out and said he's garbage. I know he's an athletic freak, but let's pump our brakes. Montana, we're already putting him ahead of a guy that's 4-0 and threw 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions? Like, come on, man. It's all about what have you done for me lately, Jason. You Kansas City fans, all about what you've done lately, and that's why you can't get over yourselves. No serious person has Patrick Mahomes at number two right now. And if they do... No, they don't. No, they don't. You're taking a couple of nut jobs and a couple of super fans or whatever, but no serious person thinks he's number two right now. What serious people think is that he's not overrated being called the best quarterback in the NFL right now. He does things that are incredible that, and again, I'm someone that, that, that knows that the degree of difficulty has been removed or decreased in the NFL. And so Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do more than some previous guys did to ever be in the same conversation with Tom Brady and some of the other all-time, all-time greats. He's going to have to do more than them. I'm not saying he's got to win seven Super Bowls like Brady, but it's going to take more than just two or three Super Bowls to get in that conversation. Most serious people understand that. But but no, but no, but people are looking at it. I, I heard this analogy this morning, and when I first heard it, I thought it was crazy. Hadley said this, but it's true. What we're seeing from Patrick Mahomes is very similar to what we saw from Barry Sanders. In, in two different, like Barry Sanders would do things at the running back position that no one else could do and we didn't really know how to evaluate it because there were also some negatives that came along with that. Barry would get more TFLs, tackle for losses, than his compeers. But that dude would break off runs that were just incredible. And and it's, when people, uh, Jim Brown to me is the greatest running back of all time. But when people say Barry Sanders is, I can't really argue with him. There's a legitimate case. Patrick Mahomes does things on the football field we just haven't seen other quarterbacks do, and that's what potentially may get him in the GOAT conversation because this dude has thrown some passes, falling down and upside down, and he's throwing a pass in the Super Bowl that hits, not this past one, but the one before that. He's hitting guys in the helmet 
while doing somersaults. Nobody else can do that. And we don't know how to evaluate it. He makes unorthodox, incredible plays we just haven't seen from other quarterbacks. But I just overrated and Patrick Mahomes don't belong in the same sentence in any regard. And you just got to blow off the people that already want to put him at number two. Any serious person knows there's more work to be done. Yeah, I, I don't agree with we haven't seen it before. I've seen a guy named John Elway do the Who thing. did it? I've seen Brett Favre do it. I've seen Aaron Rodgers do it. What do you mean we haven't seen it before? You're telling me that because he throws a left-handed grenade pass going to his right, he's reinvented the wheel? Like, you guys must have not saw people like Michael Vick throw the football from the pocket before. Like, I'm confused as hell why Andy Reid didn't have to create a gimmick offense for Michael Vick, the greatest athlete that ever played quarterback. Why didn't he create a gimmicky offense for him? Why didn't he create one for Donovan What McNett? is gimmicky about the Chiefs offense, JB? It's like what? it's a Super Bowl winning offense. It's gone to the Super Bowl three times. Tyree Hill left. Nothing stopped. It's not a gimmick. It's success. It's the greatest football coach in our generation making things happen for what he's got to work with. Great coaches find their personnel, Jason, and they adapt to it. And guess what he's done? I'm just confused. I've seen your tweets over the weekend. Why have you continued to say that Andy Reid is the common denominator? It's not Eric Bieniemy. It's not any other coach before him. So why is it now different? Andy Reid has done this his entire life. So I have yet I'm to see. I'm not disrespecting Andy Reid. I'm I not, not going to lie about Andy Reid. But, exactly. but telling the truth about Andy Reid doesn't stop me from telling the truth about Patrick Mahomes. This is not a gimmicky offense. How? This is a head coach maximizing the talents of his quarterback. Exactly. And he's having to create a gimmick for him. Like, have you broke down the film, Jason? Have you watched it? I have. I broke it down in totality. He ain't doing this offense with anyone else. Not anyone in the league right Nor now. Nor should he. He shouldn't, JB. My point. I agree. That's my point. So what I'm saying is, though, without this offense, Patrick Mahomes isn't who he is. Like, why is that hard to understand? He doesn't sit in the pocket and sit there and throw dig routes, corner routes, post routes on time. This isn't Patrick Mahomes. He has to shovel past the ball, make ad-lib plays, move the pockets, so make sure he's comfortable because he has a great talent. I understand. He is a freak. He has an arm steel set that we have yet seen. It's close to Aaron Rodgers, and it's, it's, it's similar to these guys that have had the greatest arms and talent in football. But that doesn't mean he's a guy to stand in there and make throws on time. If you had to do, Michael Vick stood in the pocket and did make better throws than on time in the pocket. Why is this not understandable? Michael Vick never won a Super Bowl. I don't believe he ever won an MVP. And as far I, as I know, in a Super Bowl that Michael Vick, and I, I, don't, I don't want to diss Michael Vick, but JB, did you see the play, the, the, the touchdown play? I th maybe it was Sky Moore where they yeah. show – Patrick Mahomes went to the line of scrimmage. They lined up in the wrong formation. And on the fly, he changed the play, stuck with the play, and just threw it to the other side of the field. He made chicken salad out of chicken doo-doo when his teammates 
screwed up the formation, and he got him the touchdown. That's great quarterback play under any era, under any circumstances. The fact that he has these gifts that Andy Reid is exploiting, what you're basically saying is if Andy Reid had been coaching John Elway instead of Dan Reeves, we would have seen this from John Elway during his career. But unfortunately, John Elway got stuck with Dan Reeves for nearly a decade and had this reputation as a guy that couldn't get it done because Dan Reeves didn't know what he was doing. He's a former running back, and that's why running backs are very, are a lot of times very poor head coaches and don't fit the profile of a head coach, whereas Andy Reid is taking advantage of the modern day John Elway right now, and the guy's already got two Super Bowls and two MVPs, it, 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 it's, I, you're knocking Patrick Mahomes because Andy Reid is taking advantage of what Patrick Mahomes has to offer. That, that's like, I could, I've tried to clean up my analogies, but you know, it, it, it's, it, I, I mean, I, my mind has worked this way and, you know, it's like buying your wife a set of boobs and never letting her wear a bikini. And, and uh, you know, what's the point? And so I, I just. Um, that you're saying, I don't understand. I don't know where you don't get that you're canceling your both statements out. You're saying Andy Reid's creating an offense for a guy. And then you're saying Mahomes is succeeding in that offense. Well, no crap. Like, I don't understand. It cancels itself out. That is my whole point, though. Andy Reid has never ran this system with any other quarterback in his 35 years of coaching, and now we see it, and we see a guy that he has to do it with. You have to adapt to your personnel, Jason. That is what makes coaches from good to great to elite. Here's our problem. Here's our problem, JB. You're saying has H-A-S, has to do it. Why isn't he doing what makes perfect sense? It's not has to do it. He's taking advantage of his asset. What The most talented quarterback since I would put Elway in, in the same category as Mahomes in talent, and I would put Roger Stallback in terms of in t- in talent, and Steve Young would be the third guy. Those three guys... Yeah, those three guys are the most talented. I don't put Aaron Rodgers in that category because he can't run like those three guys. Uh, all three of those guys are better runners. John Elway, just a freak athlete. Rodgers Sawback, a freak athlete. If, if Tom Landry had built this kind of offense for, for uh, Rodgers Stallback, he'd, he'd, he'd have more Super Bowls than what he left with. Say, Steve Young, if he had gotten a chance to play in the right system. It's not a has to do it. It's what makes sense. So wait, are we talking athletes or quarterbacks? Because there's a huge difference here. Like, I'm going to be clear here. They're both. When you find a great quarterback who's also a great athlete, this is the offense that makes sense. Exactly right. But he's not even the best quarterback that's that's an athlete in the league right now. What do you mean? He's not the greatest athlete playing quarterback right now. There's a difference between That's not what I argue. I, I That's know, not but what I, I argue. He's the just, best combination of athlete and quarterback we have in the league right now. 
Because he's yes, I agree. Quarterback. But he's not the best. You just said athletes. You said that Steve Young and them are better athletes than Aaron Rodgers. No, they're not. Aaron Rodgers yeah. is a better quarterback. Like, are we comparing athletes or quarterbacks? Because there's an athlete that plays quarterback, and then there's quarterbacks that are athletic, like Lamar Jackson, like Justin Fields, like these guys. Josh Allen is by far superior athletically over Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes has what? Beat him. So guess what? He's got two Super Bowls. He beat him head to head. He is going to be put ahead of him. I just gave out my top 10, Jason, for returning quarterbacks next year. I have Mahomes at one. Why? Because he's one. How is he overrated then? This is what you don't get. This is why everyone don't understand what I say. I have said the reason I call him overrated is for one fact only. Everyone, like yourself, anointing him as the greatest thing since sliced bread. That is the fan base that I particularly go after. I don't go after Jason Whitlock for making a legitimate analysis or certain guys. But when I see Dan Orlovsky and these guys put him at number two already and they're already talking about he's in a GOAT conversation, pump your brakes. He runs in a gimmicky system that's created for him because of his skill set, like we've already agreed on. He has a skill set that allows success with it. So there's no knock on that. What I'm saying is, though, let's pump our brakes when we talk about the GOAT. That is my only reason. That is why I've said overrated. I have never said he's bad, he's horrible. I've never attacked his character. I've never went after the chief fan base, and I've never gone after anybody. But I know this so-called great fan base that we first were talking about were the same fan base that threw Daniel Sorensen under the bus saying he couldn't cover when your D-line was horrible last year and you couldn't cover for – you had a, you asked a, a guy to cover for nine seconds. You threw him under the bus. By the way, he started for six years and got you a Super Bowl. But we just threw him under the bus. We've thrown more guys under the bus there, and you call yourself this great fan base. No, you're fan boys, and the fan base that has legitimately been around the chief fan base is legit. I love them to death. I think they're great. But you got so many fan boys who are just fair-weather fans. And I'm just telling you, Jason, I'm getting bombarded on my phone by real fans and why do the real fans agree with me, Jason? Why do my 50-plus friends, why do my former NFL players, coaches, and friends know and agree with everything I say? Because it's a professional opinion. It's not some guy that runs a podcast in Kansas City who thinks he knows football. Guess what? I had the guy on my show today, Jason. He couldn't tell me the difference between quarters and cover two. But yet he knows more than me. And I had to blast his butt, and he got real humbled real quick. They don't know what they're talking about. You, they don't know, Jason. So don't come at me with BS because I'm going to give you factual evidence and a professional opinion, unlike your unwarranted opinion as a fanboy. That's my entire point. That is why I came after the fanboy section of the Kansas City Chief base. And the real fans have come to me and we had civil conversations and I believe disagreements make great conversations. But a lot of these kids are 19 to 25 year olds who are wet behind the ears and don't know anything. They just want tweets and relikes. Or That's JB, they're triggered by your use of the word gimmick. Yes. And that's intentional because there's nothing gimmicky about that offense. A gimmick has a short lifespan. This dude has won 
two Super Bowls in four years, been to three Super Bowls. He's a two-time MVP. This is not a gimmicky offense, and, and it's not something they has to do for Patrick Mahomes. It's the offense that makes sense for Patrick Mahomes. They lose Tyreek Hill. Nothing changes. Oh, <laughs> you you almost got me on one. I was going to say something that I might regret, but trust me, they'll rep- when, when, when Travis Kelsey goes away, they'll replace him, and that offense is still going to produce points and be just as strong because Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are an ideal combination. We finally have seen a great quarterback and a terrific athlete in his prime be coached by the right guy. That's all got, we're seeing. You're all wrong. I'm just telling you. You don't worry. I wouldn't worry about Kelsey. I'd worry about when Andy Reid retires, how average Patrick Mahomes is going to look. And when you call me in a couple years and say, you know what, man, this guy's really gone downhill quickly. You want to go back to this clip and make sure that I get an apology from every single swinging slap in Kansas City that when I said the reason of his success is Andy Reid, not Patrick Mahomes, it ain't it ain't Kelsey, and it isn't Tyreek Hill. I argue that Andy Reid had the single greatest coaching moment of his career this season by making Patrick Mahomes a better guy from the pocket throwing it on time to slow receivers on the outside and made him actually understand coverage and throw it on time. Before, you had Tyreek Hill. All he ran was a go route. He didn't run no curls and digs and all these other stuff. He ran go, go, go. You got option route with Kelsey, who's unguardable, and then you had another decent receiver. Let's be – make no no mistake about it. Your best, second-best receiver is Scantling or whatever. You know who he was? He was a guy that was on his way out of the league, and Aaron Rodgers made him a commodity and a tradable asset. What did Mahomes do with him this year? Please let me know. He did nothing because Mahomes can't get this slow butt to reach the ball on time like Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't know how to throw in the windows, anticipatory throws. But we're calling him the GOAT? Come on, man. You guys Bye, are not. Bye, JB. I've had enough. I've had enough. Have... Bye, JB. You can't cut, debate it, with cut him, him off. I've had enough. I had enough. Cut it. We're play tomorrow. Well, I'm, we'll do King Randall tomorrow. I'm not in the right energy right now. Uh, play tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Free.